Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. It's good to see new faces, and um, I'm going to give you a few quick announcements, and then we will dive into Romans chapter 1. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you're welcome to do so. If you want to wait, that's okay too. Uh, But a few quick announcements, just as we, some of this is a little more about orientation, and and some is is to update you on things that have been going on the past few weeks. Um, First of all, last night we went out to the Christmas parade. Uh, my wife and children uh, went, and, and uh, Miss Phyllis met us out there. And uh, we stood out there for about an hour and a half and gave out probably about 200, 250 tracks, maybe. And um, the reception was very good. People were very kind. There were just a few people who uh, said no, they didn't want one, or just pretended like we didn't exist and walked by and <laughs> kept going. And, and, uh, and it's, you know, I have to, I'm really having to adjust my attitude being here because the the people here are so kind and they're so nice and you know they have that sweet southern hospitality mentality and um, the places where we typically go street preaching they don't reject you like they do here here they do it nicely they say no no thank you even some of the you know the younger people would stop turn and face you and very nicely say no thank you and then turn and walk away that's not what they do in florida (laughs) Uh, they have some choice words for you when they say no in Florida. And so it was a blessing. Um, it, it was a good time, great time of fellowship. Miss, Miss Phyllis, I think, knew everybody or taught everybody. So uh, between the two, she, she kind of had an in with several people. But um, got out several tracks. It was great. It was, it was wonderful. A couple people stopped and talked to us. And uh, not, nothing deep scripturally or anything along those lines, but uh, a few had questions about the tracks. One young man, he, he may have been 14, 15 years old, came back and shook my hand and said, I really appreciate you doing this. And, and so that was a blessing. And um, so it'd be great to have people who think like that end up here. <laughs> that would be great. And then uh, another young man, uh, I think he meant well, but you know, sometimes people say things meaning well and what I wanted to say is not what I said. I just was very nice to him. And he, he comes back with the tract and he says, is there any way to print this on a trifold tract so it can be opened and you can read it on different pages? That's 
yeah, there's a way. <laughs> like it's, it can happen. <laughs> Did you want to do it? I mean, uh, and and so uh, he said, and, and you didn't put your phone number. I said, well, thank you. Anything else that you would like to <laughs> report on while we're here? But then he, he he was very appreciative and said thank you and and was very very kind. So it was a blessing. It was really good. Great time of fellowship. Um, it was a beautiful weather. I mean, I know the it rained all day and was nasty all day, but. Um, I mean, it was just, it was not, it was like a, a hint of coolness in the air and then just enough humidity to make it, I mean, it was nice. And so, um, and then when the parade started, we went and got Mexican food. So <laughs> we didn't stay for the parade and, and all that stuff. But, uh, but we, we saw it out the window. They were throwing objects at people. I mean, it's dangerous out there. You got to be careful. <laughs> throwing toys and candy and all sorts of things. And so... Uh, it looks like people had a good time. It, it was a blessing. Very good reception. Um, anytime the town has events like that going on, we would like to be there and represent Jesus Christ. And so uh, if you're familiar or, under, or know of something coming up where there will be large amounts of people in town, uh, we would like to prepare for those things ahead of time. Announce to the church so anyone who wants to come with us is able to do so and make sure we have tracks and things available. Today begins our Sunday afternoon services. I know it's been wonderful all this time. After the morning service, you can just go home and, <laughs> and you're done for the day. And now we're going to task you with a third service in one day. You know, it's interesting. It's called a service. But what did you do? <laughs> How did you serve? You know, it's, it's just, it's, that's the American mentality. I served today. What'd you do? I sat in a pew and listened to somebody preach. Uh, now we're glad you're here serving. <laughs> uh, don't take that the wrong way. It's just, it's just interesting that that's what they call it. So starting today, um, the, the, the church for, for a short while had no uh, Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon service. Starting today, the, the, the order of events is Sunday school at 9.30, Sunday morning service at 10.30. We'll go next door and go to lunch. You're welcome to come. If you don't want to come, if you've seen enough of us in the first two services and would like to get away, that's okay too. I understand. Um, and then at 2 p.m., we will begin our afternoon service. Amen, Brother Thomas. I just see all the excitement. <laughs> Amen. All right. And then I have been um, talking about the, the offering, um, kind of the way we do it, uh, I wanted to, but, but people have been in and out, We've, there's been several new faces, uh, several people got, got a few weeks back got sick and have, have been home, and so they may or may not have heard this, so I want to probably announce it for just a few more weeks to make sure everybody knows, um, we're not going to pass an offering plate, right? what you give is between you and the Lord. When you do it, how you do it, that's, that's between you and God. Now, the Bible says that you are responsible as a Christian to give to the furtherance of the gospel. And we have this building. It has lights and running water and electricity and all these things that have to be paid for. And so all that is done through your giving. And, and so you give what you want. It's between you and God. I'm not going to ask you about it. I'm not, I don't want to know about it. It's, it's none of my business. It's between you and God. The baskets are here before service. You know, I said last service that if the Holy Spirit so touches your heart, you want to get up during service or after service, they are here. You're free to drop the money in and do what you want, how you want, when you want. It's between you and the Lord. Got it? Amen. All right. Three people got it. Yes. 
Yeah, we, we will. I will need to talk to somebody about those because they have these things up here that are crying out for money, and I don't know what they're, <laughs> they're for. So, um, oh, beams. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try to get more information on those so I can articulate that to you more clearly so that you know it's here if you want to give to it. Um, the next thing on my list is the Uganda Translation Project. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I were missionaries in Uganda for three years. Um, while we were there, we began a Bible translation project. Uh, they, they do not have an accurate Bible in the Luganda language. And so the Lord helped me to put together a group of very diligent men with great character uh, that, that are, are 100% focused on this work. And uh, they need your prayer. It's a, it's a very complex, very difficult task. It's not easy to try and go from uh, one language to another and, and be, be clear and, and accurate and, and proper. And um, not only so, the Luganda language uh, lacks, it, it, it doesn't have a very in-depth vocabulary. And, and so when they don't have a word, not the translators, but, but the Buganda in general, they just make one up. Like they had no word for box, so they made the word bokasi. That's the word in Luganda for <laughs> box. They had no word town for the word, for the word town. So the Luganda word now is tawuni. <laughs> so pray for them. It's a very difficult task, and um, it's a very, it is a very complex language. They don't think it is, but it's very... I'll give you an example. And this is the example I always give to demonstrate to people what you would be walking into if you wanted to learn a Bantu language. In order to say, I run, the, 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 the word for I is nze. Right? So if you're going to say I, nze, that's the word. Run is dukkha. Right? Now, you can't put nze and dukkha together and say nze dukkha. You can't do that. No, you have to so alter both of them that they are unrecognizable. <laughs> and so if you were going to say Nze Duka, you would break Nze down to just the letter N, but then you can't put an N and a D or a double D together. You have to change it again. You have to attach it to the word, but when you attach it to the word, you can't put an N and a D together. So it has to be changed again in order for you to be able to say I run, this is what it would be, this is, when you put it together, this is how you would say it, in ziruka. And so if you didn't know all that, and you heard somebody say that, you would be looking at them like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then they have 10 noun classes. And, and then the, the, the way the sentence is structured is based on the noun class, and the first letter, or first few letters of every word in the sentence changes based on the noun class. Every noun class starts with a different letter, which means that your sentence is completely altered based on which noun class you have to use. It's, uh, these men need your prayer. <laughs> they need you to pray for them as they try and figure all this out and put it all together. Our goal is to produce an accurate Bible in the Luganda language for the Buganda people. All right? and, so, and then my, my ultimate aim is when it's complete, it'll take three to five years to finish. My goal is to go back to Uganda and, and my prayer is to raise enough money and get enough printed that we can go back and give out for free somewhere between 2 million and 5 million Bibles. That's a massive task. That's huge. 
but I would like to get a, a team of people together and, and go back. And then, of course, uh, Brother Keith Stensis is still there. He has several churches that he's working with all around the Buganda uh, region. And so if we get all those people together, I, I want to just saturate the whole area with this Bible. Uh, because I, I have studied several Bible translations, and one of the problems is that this small group of people translates it, and then they kind of keep it. And so then when you try and tell somebody what their Bible says, they're looking at you like, I've read the Spanish Bible or the Portuguese Bible or whatever several times, and it doesn't say that. It's like, well, mine does. Well, we don't want them to say, mine does. We want them to say, this is an accurate copy of the Word of God, and there are so many out there now that everybody is beginning to become familiar with it. All right, so that's that's the goal with that. Uh, Next, in 2024... We really need to try and tackle the building debt. There, there's about the, 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 the church owes about $53,000 on this building. And um, my understanding of the structure of the loan is by 2025, it could become problematic. And we don't want debt anyways. So there are a lot of things I'd like to do around here, a lot of upgrades I'd like to make, uh, things I'd like to do to improve the place. But we need the debt gone first. I don't want to fix up somebody else's building <laughs> if I can help it. So uh, be in prayer about that. I, I don't know exactly yet how I'm going to handle that or approach that. Um, but if possible, we need that debt gone. If I have to go get a side job and just take all the money from that and throw at it, that's what we'll have to do. But we need the money. To, we need the debt gone from the church, and then we can move on from there. Um, as you just heard... My singing is not the greatest. We need a song leader or a pianist or both. (laughs) So pray with us that the Lord would send um, a good, strong voiced young man to be a song leader and a man or a lady to be the pianist. That would be wonderful and would greatly add to the service and help us to sing unto the Lord much better. And then finally, Miss Pat uh, home today. She, she said she's having some migraines and, and some serious headaches. And if you've ever had those, you know that they are not fun. So if you would pray for her. All right. Romans chapter one. I'm glad you're here. Um, you know, the hard thing with teaching verse by verse, line by line, word by word through the Bible is um, when new faces show up, you feel like you have to go back and explain everything you've taught before. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's harder and harder to do the further we get down into the, the passage. Um, Romans 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 together. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse five, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the introduction to the book of Romans. The first seven verses introduce the Apostle Paul. 
They introduce the gospel, that that gospel is related to Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be separated under that gospel. It, it lays out a number of very important details and realities. Now, last service, whenever that was, Wednesday, <laughs> we, we talked about, we, we, we looked at verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And, and we're going to look at it again today, but from a slightly different perspective, a slightly different, from, from a different angle, and, and try to talk about, talk about it a little bit more conceptually. Now, what we did on Wednesday is we went through and we looked at how repeatedly Paul, Philip, Peter, uh, James, all, all the apostles, when they went out and they would preach the gospel to anyone who had any semblance of relationship to the law of Moses. Uh, if it was Cornelius, who was an Italian man who worked in, in Israel for, with the Jews, around the Jews. Uh, if it was the Ethiopian eunuch who came to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, anyone that had any kind of relationship to the law, then the, the apostles felt the need to, to make very clear to them that the gospel they preach the gospel they preach came from the Old Testament. It was promised before. It was given by the prophets. And we showed last week how the prophets wrote it down. God gave them this word. And the prophets wrote it down. And they put their pen down and looked up at God and said, What is this? <laughs> what did I just write? And, and Peter said that God told them, It's not for you. You're ministering to people to come. You're ministering right now in the Old Testament to, to a people that I haven't even made manifest yet. And so it was all written for our learning and admonition. It was written for them to minister to us. It was written to eventually reveal the New Testament in which would, would, there would be a body called the body of Christ. There would be a church. There would, there would be this building that is fitly joined together. And, and, and so all of that is laid out in the Old Testament. The apostle says, my name is Paul. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm called to be an apostle, and I'm separated under the gospel of God. And then you have these parentheses. This is a parenthetical statement where it's, it's this abrupt pause. And by the way, that gospel to which I am separated was given to us in the Old Testament. And, and God wants you to know that. God wants to confirm that in your minds. And so we're going to take a, a second look at it today. Um, we, we'll take some time this morning and discuss. It's, it's kind of the, the conceptual or philosophical foundation of it. All right, so we saw last time, we looked at several Old Testament examples. Isaiah 53 is a great example. Daniel 9 is a great example. When, when Messiah the Prince would be cut off, Isaiah 53 goes in detail about the death of the Messiah on a tree for your sins. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was, he was you know, despised and rejected of men. All that is about Jesus Christ. Even the, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3, uh, the, the ark that Noah gets in, that place of safety and refuge, all that pictures and, and, and are types of Jesus Christ. Abraham takes his son up on a mountain to sacrifice him. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> all right, so, so it all pictures Jesus Christ and declares the gospel. Though the Old Testament saints had no idea. They could see something was there. Peter said the prophets looked into it diligently. What is this? 
What is this talking about? Who is this talking about? And God said, it's not for you. Don't worry about that. You just write it down. That's for a people that you're going to minister to later. It's not for you right now. Which must, must have been a very difficult situation to be in. And, and, so, and so we want to, having seen the practical aspect of it, we want to talk about it a little bit more and see if we can bring out some more of the philosophical context and make sense of it. Now, the God of heaven and earth who planned out and accomplished eternal salvation on our part, on our behalf, told us he was going to do so in writing before he did it. Now, Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation. Now, you think about all that encompasses. When you think of an author, what's the first thing that comes to mind? (laughs) What book did you write? Well, Jesus wrote a book. We have it. It's the Word of God. But but it's, it's deeper than that. Jesus is one of the few men in the world who said, I'm going to set out to accomplish something. And his death, the Bible says, was an accomplishment. It wasn't some arbitrary incident that Jesus was forced into. It was an accomplishment. And then having accomplished, literally, physically, eternal salvation, he wrote about it. (laughs) And recorded it in a book. For me and for you to take into all the world and preach to every creature. And then parts of it, he wrote about before it happened and said, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. We, we studied Matthew chapter 2 this morning. And, 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 and in just, what, 20 some odd verses, multiple times that it was fulfilled by the prophets. That it was fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, which was written by the prophets. Just repeatedly, over and over and over, God said, I, I, I told you in the Old Testament I was going to do that. I told you I was going to do that. I told you I was going to do that. And then he just went and did it. And even got other people to do it, though they didn't even know they were doing it. (laughs) And so it's it's incredible to see, but it's an important concept to grasp. When I go and preach the gospel to somebody, we didn't. Peter said we're not following cunningly devised fables. We didn't just make this up. It was planned thoroughly and meticulously by God Himself, and then He came down himself and carried it out and now if if he can do that from the old testament to the new testament then what does that mean about his promises to come back and get me and get you you can trust him you can put your trust in the fact he said i i am going to come and get you if you die before i come get you then i'm going to take you to be with me you'll be absent from the body and present with me now why would you struggle with that? If, if, he could say, if he could say in Daniel 9, Messiah is going to be cut off and tell you when and how it was going to happen. And then it happens. Exactly as he said. Daniel didn't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And we're talking about a, a massive expanse of time between the two. He didn't leave behind a note for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, hey, when you get this in a thousand years... <laughs> Make sure to add these details so that people think we, we, you know, think that God had a hand in this. They didn't set this up. These are the words of God who is carrying out a thorough plan to make salvation available to you and available to me. It was promised before, and then he carried it out just as he said he would. 
God's patience in this matter is in, it's phenomenal. It's incredible. You know, pe- people should be a lot more careful with what they say about God. And, and, and say people should be careful, but lost people should be, should be very careful. God is long-suffering. You should praise the Lord for that. Now, what that means is that God will allow things to take place that we don't think should take place, especially if we're subject to the bad things taking place. (laughs) We would rather God be like a superhero and come and fix it. But he's patient, and he waits, and there's a purpose and a reason. And that's why this plan is so meticulous and thorough and so careful, and why I can go from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament and be fulfilled, just as God says, without haste, no, I'm just, just going to take my time, and it'll, 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 it'll be carried out. God says, known unto me are all my works. God knows what he's going to do and how he's going to do it and when he's going to do it and when it will be fulfilled. We might not know, <laughs> obviously, but he does. And he shows up when it's necessary. Now, I don't like that. I would rather God say, here's the plan In more detail, you just be ready, and then I can follow the steps. I work better that way. I like to keep a list of things I need to do every day. Otherwise, my brain is scattered. And so when God says, I'm going to do it in my timing, the way I want one. I don't have to report to you. I know you don't have to report to me, but could you just a little bit? (laughs) No. No, it's not going to happen that way. And so it's up to me to look at what God hath done and say, it's in my best interest to just trust him and not be concerned about these things and not be worried about what, what a day may hold. Just let's, just let's just deal with today. We'll plan for the future, but let's just deal with today as best we can and, and, and not make a mess of things. Now, here's what I mean when, when, when people should be more careful. First of all, God is, is gracious to give men this time. And, and what they don't realize is that, that th- these, these meticulous steps from the Old Testament to the New Testament, well, they don't realize when, they, when we get impatient and we want to speed things up, you don't know what the consequences of that might be for you <laughs> or your family or your city or your country or your town. God's got a big picture view, and we're talking like thousands of years big picture view. All right, we're not talking about just a few days, a few months, a few. We're talking God's got the, the, the big eye view, right? We don't. And so from our tiny little perspective of the world, we think God should speed things up or do things that we want done because we think it would be better if God did it that way. And you don't know what would happen over here or over here. If you got your way right here, <laughs> and you want to be very careful about that. Now, secondly, secondly, over that time, the Lord was able to clearly and objectively demonstrate that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So when you're talking to a lost person who wonders, you know, why does God have to punish people eternally? And, and the reason they ask that question is because they think, well, there's some good in all people. Well, <laughs> we need to define good. God is good. Do you know anybody that measures up to that? No. 
So, so your version of good is very subjective. I appreciate that you're not Hitler. That's a good thing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Right, but that's not good enough. Okay, it, what we do is we have these ideas of people who do good things, and we think, I mean, that's really good. Why would God be mad at that? You don't know the thoughts that pass through that person's mind. You don't know what they do in the dark or in the secret. Yeah, let God be true, but every man a liar. The best of men in the world will lie to you, except me. Right. <clears throat> Miss Patty's the only one who believes me. Now, when people ask, why doesn't God get rid of evil? Let me show you the solution to that. Look at Genesis chapter 6. Uh, and people, they, they ask that question as though that is the solution to, to all of man's troubles. If God would just get rid of evil, okay, well, he, he did that once. Let's see how that would work out. And, and let's see why you should be a little more careful what you ask for before you start opening your mouth and, and demanding uh, that God submit to your, your ideas of morality and what would solve the world's problems. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, look at verses 5 through 7. And God saw that the wickedness of man, man, was great in the earth, <laughs> and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In order for God to get rid of evil, what does he have to get rid of? You. <laughs> so when you go and you, when you come to me and I'm out telling people about Jesus and, and you want to demonstrate that you have this great philosophical knowledge and you say, why doesn't God get rid of evil? Well, <laughs> you go first. <laughs> All right, so what, they, what they're saying by that is, doesn't God see how good I am and that nothing bad should happen to me? And they don't realize that you, there is none good. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. You have a false idea about yourself and what you think you are. And in order for God to get rid of the evil, not your concept of evil, I, I have a definition of evil and I think God should fix the world in accord with that. Well, that's not how it works. He's God. He has a definition of evil, and apparently it starts in the imagination of every man. So to fix the problem, he brought about a worldwide flood and killed everybody. <laughs> problem solved, except for the eight people that got to survive. And the only reason they got to survive is not because they were not evil. Noah found grace. That's it. There's no other reason. So you start thinking too highly of yourself, you, you're going to find yourself in, in some serious trouble. You're going to find yourself in a, in a state of confusion that you didn't have to be, to be in. Now, the more time man is given, the more man's sinful nature is revealed. Man becomes more arrogant and self-centered. He begins to think he can save himself or that society has evolved into something so great that God himself will be impressed. That's the way this world thinks. There's a whole group of people called the New Atheists, and they, man, they think very highly of themselves. They don't know what bathroom to use. They don't know what a woman is. They don't know what color their hair should be today or tomorrow. But they just know that they are so wonderful that this God that we, that we proclaim 
will be impressed with them and probably just end up giving way to them. Or you're going to lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. You don't know how confused you are. You think so highly of yourself. You think you're so wonderful. You think that, I mean, we've made spaceships and all these incredible, we have electric cars (laughs) that catch on fire. (laughs) So, you know, they they, they think so highly of themselves. They think they're so great. And God just says, I'm just going to give you some more time, which is going to produce more evidence Another dead body, another murder, another rape, another molestation. Where, where is all this evidence of how great society is becoming? Show it to me. Another drunkard drives home and, and beats his family or, or harms his children. Like where, where, I, I'm, just, I'm struggling to see more, more fentanyl. I mean, the, the list can just go on and on and on. Entire sections of our cities our most progressive cities in America are covered in feces and tents. What about this is so great? How does this compare to what God is offering you? I'm struggling to see the comparison. God says, they still think they're wonderful. Let's give them a little more time. They still think they're evolving into some great society. (laughs) Let's give them a little more time. And the evidence just builds and builds and builds. And, and the proof is objectively displayed. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse and worse. Now, in this town, it's a blessing. Most of the women in this town dress fairly decent compared to the rest of the country. I mean, it's, it's a blessing. We, we expected to come back and see Florida and I mean, I don't want to put any images in your head of what goes on in Florida. (laughs) But in a country where sexual immorality is running rampant, you have people walking around, you have women walking around half naked. Does that seem like a good idea? It is if you think everybody's good. It is based on your corrupt definition of good. Who would do anything to me? And then it happens. I don't know. Did you, did you watch the news last night? <laughs> did you read a newspaper? Did you look at any news articles? Because none of it will be good. None of it will work in the favor of your definition of good. It's all going to show the exact opposite. And so God gives man time. And he gives him space. And it just, it just further proves. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It just further proves man has no idea where they're going. The blind are leading the blind, and and they're trying to make that ditch as comfortable as they possibly can. If you dress the ditch up that you fall into, you can pretend it's not a ditch. (laughs) Till once again the flood comes. And you're wondering why you're drowning, and and God is not helping. Well, you wanted God to get rid of the evil, (laughs) 1 Corinthians 1, and we'll read verses 18 through 24. Now, again, if you you pay close attention here, the Apostle Paul is writing. He's going to again make mention of where this, where the foundation of this gospel we preach came from. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 18 through 24. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now, we preached a couple of weeks ago from 1 Corinthians, or Romans chapter 1, 
And Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And here we are again. That same gospel, that same idea, it's faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives you access to the power of God so that you can have salvation. Without the gospel, without Jesus Christ, you have no access to that power. And here we are again, verse 19, for it is written. Well, by the time 1 Corinthians chapter 1 was written, where would this be written? It's it's all going to be a reference to the Old Testament. There is no New Testament at this point in time. There might be a few scattered letters by the time 1 Corinthians is written, but he's not making a direct reference to a few scattered New Testament letters. He's referring you back to the Old Testament. He's pointing you back to, to what was written afore by the Holy Prophets. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews, a stumbling block, and under the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now, we're not going to go through this passage in detail, but this is what he's saying. What I am preaching to you about Jesus Christ was written afore. It, was, it came from the Old Testament. And we, we looked last, uh, last Wednesday how that Paul went to Thessalonica and, and he opened the scriptures and reasoned with them that Jesus is the Christ from the Old Testament, right? And, 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 and so it's our responsibility to be able to go through the Old Testament and show people and demonstrate to people this is talking about Jesus Christ. It was, it was prophesied here. It was fulfilled here. It's our job to be able to demonstrate that to people and to show that to people so they know we didn't just, we didn't just make this up. And we're not just subject to a New Testament that just appeared out of thin air. The old and the new work together. They are required. They flow. They, they help. They build upon each other. You, you have to have both, and it goes back and forth in both directions. So the world's wisdom, the wisdom that is hindering them... <laughs> They think their wisdom is great. They think their wisdom is wonderful. And in reality, their wisdom prevents them from knowing the God who could save them. What an oxymoron. What an incredible situation. Do you know how smart we are? Do you know that if you put that pride down, you could know Jesus Christ? Well, we're too smart for that. (laughs) Well, there'll be consequences to that. I hope you're okay with that. God warns us repeatedly, do not depend on man. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in God. Look at Romans 8. Let's let's see it again from another perspective. Romans chapter 8. And we'll read verses 3 through 4. Verse 3. For what the law, the law. Now we're deep into the book of Romans at this point. We're at the midway point of the book of Romans, and Paul's still referring back to the Old Testament and, and, and making these distinctions between the old and new that are essential and that are important. Verse, back to verse 3. 
for, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, what the law could not do because it was weak in the flesh. Do you know that's the point of the law? God gave a law that was meant to demonstrate to you, you can't do it. You can't keep it. You're going to fail. That was its purpose. All right, so people say, well, I believe you're saved by keeping the law. At no point was the law given to bring you salvation. Now, you can try and go that way. God said that, that's an option. If you can keep every point of the law and do it every time, every day, exactly right, well, then you're not a sinner and you don't need a Savior. You can't do that. I can't do that. Only Jesus Christ did that. And having done that, he died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf for our sin. And then he was buried and he rose again the third day. And so the law of Moses did not demonstrate. There's not a problem with the law. The, the law is the, is the picture of perfection. The problem is we can't do it. And, and that's, that's for any, any works-based religion when you're witnessing to them. When I talk to Muslims... And, and, you know, everyone knows they have the five pillars of Islam, and you're supposed to keep these five pillars in order to make Allah happy, and then you, I don't know, go to paradise and get virgins. <laughs> like, I don't know how that became the... You know that religion was written by a man. <laughs> like, there's, there's... What God came up with that? All right, that was just Muhammad saying, I got a good idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll trick people into this. And so, but here's the point. I'll, I'll, I'll ask them, do you pray five times a day, every single day? And have you done that every day of your life without fail? And the answer is no. Even for the best of Muslims, they're sick one day, they have a problem one day, they, whatever. Your car got blown up by a suicide bomber. I mean, I just, all sorts of things pop up that, you know, interrupt life. So if you didn't do that, you failed. You didn't keep Allah's requirements. And this is the amazing thing. This is what they say. Muslims will tell you that, that Jesus Christ cannot die for your sins. God cannot demonstrate that type of grace. So when I ask them, you, since you, you have failed, so what's going to happen to you when you stand face to face with Allah? And they say, well, he'll forgive me. I'm like, really? Well, then I'm okay. I can worship Jesus Christ and not do anything Allah says. And then when I stand before him, he'll just forgive me. And that, well, no, no, that's not how that works. Well, how does it work exactly? You help me understand it because you failed to keep the law. And that's the great thing about works-based religions. They can't keep it. They can't do it. All right? And that's a, that's, a, that's a reasonable reality amongst men. It's just, just you're going to fail. You're going to not show up to work one day. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have a blown tire. You're going to, I mean, all sorts of things are going to happen that are going to prevent you from doing all the things you would like to do as a responsible human being on a daily basis. It's just how it is. In life, that can be forgiven. But with an eternal, righteous God, it cannot. And if it can, he's unjust. And since he's unjust, there's a good chance I'll get in anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> 
but they don't like that. They, they, don't, they don't want it presented in those terms. And so this, this gospel was presented in the Old Testament, brought into the New Testament, and is the, is the very foundation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the direction that God is going to, to take us. Turn to Romans 3. Just a few more stops, and then we will wrap it up. Romans chapter 3. And we'll read verses 20 through 26. Now, now look at this again. Here we are, Romans 3. We're in Romans 3, and Paul is writing. He is introducing one of the greatest doctrines in the Bible. Justification by faith. And what's he going to use to help you under, understand justification by faith? The law. Look at verse 20. Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Do you see that? What God just told you is that I gave a law to demonstrate to you you're a sinner. That's his purpose. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul said, I didn't know what covetousness was if it wasn't for the law. I just wanted stuff. <laughs> then I found out I was being a dirty sinner. All right? So if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know what I was doing wrong. God said, I gave the law not to justify you. As he just said there, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's not its purpose. Its purpose is to demonstrate to you that you need justification. And without the law, you don't know what that is. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Raise your hand if you've never done that. <laughs> I didn't think so. Bunch of sinners. You need a savior. Thou shalt not covet. Nobody in this room has coveted before. Don't dishonor your mother and your father. I mean, the, the, the list, I mean, that, that's the Ten Commandments. That's the short list. <laughs> If we really started to break it down and go through both the old and the new, you'd find out we, we, we need a Savior. We desperately need a Savior. The deeds of the law don't bring you to justification. They bring you to Jesus Christ. And I'll show you that. Let's, let's, let's read this real fast, and we'll look at a few more places, and you'll see that. Back to verse 20. Where was it? Where am I? Who's running this? Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God without the law. Everybody see that? God said, I am going to give you righteousness, but it's not going to come through the law. All right, a, a, a righteousness is going to be made manifest without the law. People keep thinking, I got to keep the law. I got to keep the law. If I'll keep the law, I'll be righteous. I just, I got to keep the law. I've got to be righteous. That's not where you're going to get righteousness. You're going to fail. You're going to end up in a rat race that's going to collapse and you're going to end up tired, wondering, how did I get here? What's happening? I don't even understand life anymore. <laughs> that's not a good direction to go. Trust in Jesus. All right now, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by who? The law and the prophets. So who told about this righteousness that is coming? The law and the prophets. Who's, who told everyone a righteousness is coming that, that will be imputed to you, given to you in exchange for your faith? 
Well, that's exactly what happened to Abraham, Romans 4. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. This this is the progression. This is the direction Paul's taking people. Set your works aside for a moment. Should you be a good person? Should you be godly in Christ Jesus? Yes. Should you put away sin and put away all the evil in your life and the ungodliness? Yes. But why? Not Not to gain righteousness, not to gain salvation, but because you're trying to be more like the one who already gave you that righteousness and who already gave you that salvation. And if you get the two confused and you begin to stake your righteousness or your salvation on your works, you're going to be a mess. Because today you're going to do great in church with everybody watching you. (laughs) But then there's tomorrow when you fall. And then Tuesday you do great. And then Wednesday you do great. And then Thursday you fall even harder. Or you make a mistake, or you do something wrong, or you say something you shouldn't have said, or you yell at people in traffic, or (laughs) all sorts of things are going to happen that shouldn't happen. And if your righteousness or salvation is based on your actions, you're in trouble. If keeping your righteousness is based on your actions, you're in trouble. Now, here's where people say, well, then that means I can live any way I want. And as we said a couple weeks ago, you do. You live exactly the way you want right now. Who made you come to church today? Anybody, did I come knock on anybody's door, drag you out in your car and say, get going? <laughs> no. You chose to get up and come to church, correct? Okay. When you didn't come, who made you stay home? Nobody. The question is, you, you, you're going to live the way you want to live. The question is, how do you want to live? Do you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, or do you just want to kind of limp along and take it day by day? It's up to you, right? What I'm trying to help demonstrate to you is you should have a certain level of confidence based on a God who wrote in the Old Testament, I'm going to provide your righteousness, I'm going to provide your salvation, and then from there, I'm going to give you space to figure out how to live godly in Christ Jesus, to learn, to grow. Is that that reasonable? Can can you see that based on what we're talking about? Okay, two people can see it. Praise the Lord. I'm doing a great job. (laughs) Look at Romans 16. Look at a few more passages real fast. Sorry to keep you so late, so long. Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Verse 25. Uh, Yeah, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Okay, who has the power to establish you? God, right? It's him that does it. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. It was the scriptures of the prophets that laid this foundation that that told of this mystery that the apostles are now making clear to us. All right? And, And we need that. We need that. Now look at Galatians 3. Wherefore serveth the law? That's 
That's the question often in people's minds. What is it for? Why is it there? What do we do with it? Well, it's a schoolmaster. It's the knowledge of sin. Its point and purpose is to demonstrate you need to be justified. Galatians 3, verses 15 through 26. We, we may not read all of this, but we'll read a good portion of it. Verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, uh, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. That means God's talking to Abraham about his promises and a promise related to a seed. All the way back in the Old Testament, God's talking to Abraham about Jesus Christ. Abraham doesn't even have a clue. We don't know that until we get to Romans 3, 4, 5, and and later into the book of Romans. Isn't that incredible? God's making all these promises to Abraham that won't be fulfilled for a long time, and Abraham doesn't even know, know what it is. What God's talking about is that God's going to give me a seed. Well, yeah, you think he means a son, and he did give you a son. But then that son had a son, and that son had a son, and carried on this promise until the coming of the Messiah. That was the point. That was the purpose. Abraham's like, I get to have a son. No, you get to, you get to begin the bloodline that will bring about Jesus Christ, <laughs> It's much deeper than that. And and, and so all this is planned by God before. Look at verse 17. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. Nothing about the law changed this promise. Abraham didn't live under the law. The law came after Abraham. God made this promise to Abraham and then 430 some odd years later, the law is promised and given and changes nothing. In fact, it works along with the promise. All right. Verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of justification. Right. Is that what that says? No, it was added because of your transgressions. He said, you're a bunch of sinners. I needed to show you. <laughs> I needed to demonstrate it to you. And, and if I didn't have a way to demonstrate it to you, you're just going to argue with me like you did in Malachi. Like your, your offerings are horrible. When were our offerings horrible? Uh, you're, you're robbing me. When, when did we rob you? They just argue with God because they, they have no real relationship with the word of God. And so when God comes down himself and begins to deal with them, they're like, God, you don't know what you're talking about. Just go back up into heaven, have a, you know, cocktail, relax, chill. They argue with God and try to send him on his way. And then at the end of Malachi, God says, okay, I have nothing else to say to you until Elias come. I'm done with you. And that was it until Jesus Christ came on, until John the Baptist came on the scene. And then Jesus Christ came immediately after Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, that's a good question. 
Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. Now, do you, could it be any more clear than that? Okay, I want to be righteous. I do. So how do I become righteous? Well, you just keep the law. That's not what that just said. If righteousness could come by keeping the law, then it, it'd be that simple. That'd be it. But it doesn't. God, God uses Abraham in Romans 4 as the example. He believed God, and in exchange for his belief, God gave him righteousness. You give me faith, I give you righteousness. Our faith today now is in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, God gives you his righteousness. All that is laid out and planned and established in the Old Testament, carried out effectively in the New Testament. And if you could understand the shortcomings of the law, which was not the law itself, it's in us. Our inability to keep it. You can't do it. Then what that's going to do is, like a schoolmaster, it's going to bring you to Christ, who kept the law who fulfilled the law, who died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And now, if you will put your faith and your trust in his finished work, God said, I will forgive your sins, I will save your soul, I will give you my righteousness, I will give you an inheritance in Jesus Christ, you will rule and reign with me, he will unload benefits upon you if you'll just trust him. And then from there... From that reality, use that to help build your Christian character, your Christian life, and learn how to live godly in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? This gospel was promised a long time ago, and there's a lot more to it than just Jesus died on the cross. God lays out some pretty incredible things that we, we, I hope we can dive into in the coming months. All right, Brother Hoyt, would you pray for us? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.